0: sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben
1: Adelberg. and once again welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben Adelberg. this is episode 198. as you know the women's national championship is coming to a close at greyhawk out in arizona The men are slowly arriving and preparing for their own national championship run. The best programs in college golf will need to endure 72 holes of stroke play, and then the top eight teams will advance to match play. The final stroke play round and all of the matches will be televised on the Golf Channel, and if you live on the East Coast like I do, that means golf in prime time with desert and mountain views that you just don't see very much down here in Florida. Many of the top teams and top players in the country will be a Greyhawk. Names that you know and have been introduced to on this podcast. Cole Hammer, the Cooties, Travis Vick, all the guys from Texas, they've been on the podcast. SMU, obviously you know Ali Osborne, Mac Meisner, the reigning Southern amateur champion. John Pack from FSU, he's leading the PGA Tour U standings. He was also the low amateur at the U.S. Open. Gosh, I can go down the list. Davis Thompson, Austin Eckrote. William Mao, basically the entire U.S. Walker Cup team, except for Tyler Strafacci and Stuart Hagerstead, will be there. Can't wait to see how everything plays out. Another name that you should see from the SMU team is my guest on this episode of the Back of the Range, Noah Goodwin. I've seen quite a bit of him over the last year. He was at the Merido Amateur. I was also covering their home tournament in Dallas earlier this year. I really enjoyed this conversation with the former U.S. Junior Amateur champion. He shared some great information about his start in the game, some of his early challenges, and how they shaped him into the player and person that he is today. We also really dug into the year that SMU had and what led them to the national championship. And of course, we talked about his utterly dominant performance at regionals at Stillwater. Now, I know that Oklahoma State owns Karsten Creek, and they came out on top team-wise, but individually, it was Noah Goodwin. And he'll be looking to keep that form at Greyhawk to help lead the Mustangs to a national championship title. Don't forget, follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Leave a review, send me an email, get engaged with this podcast. And uh, again, make sure you're following on Instagram. You might see some surprising things over the next couple days. This is one of the best episodes in the history of this podcast that featured a collegiate player. So Let's get started. Noah, you're at the back of the range. How are you?
2: Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I
1: feel like I've been seeing a lot of you uh, this this past year, whether we're at uh, the frozen tundra of Merido or even at your home tournament at Trinity Forest. We have a ton to get into. Um, talk a little bit about your start in the game, talk about the, your recent success at regionals, but we're recording on the Saturday of the PGA Championship. Um, there's an SMU guy, Bryson DeChambeau, that you know pretty well. Talk to me about why he's going to win the PGA Championship. Go.
2: I mean, he has it all right now. He hits it great. He hits it longer than anybody out there. But most importantly, I think whenever it comes down to the wire, he's one of the best putters in the game right now, especially on tour. Um, I think that will really carry him through um, if his wedges are dialed kind in the last two rounds then i think he definitely has a really great shot at it
1: i don't even know why i'm on this podcast that was excellent i mean when are you starting your like pga tour betting podcast i mean get that started you got it
2: i gotta i gotta leave the ncaa first man
1: okay all right that's true yeah we'll edit that part out but no that's that's a good point yeah, yeah we don't want to completely destroy your eligibility to do anything in college Um, no 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 yeah yeah, good call uh have you now not to not to fanboy too much but i'm curious when we look at the distances that he hits hits um he hits it off the tee you're a you know two-time all-american um have you played with him and seen firsthand how just ridiculous his length is
2: So I played with him in the practice rounds of the Olympia Fields USAM, but that was way before he started his distance thing at all. Sure. Even though I will say back then he could still smash the golf ball if he wanted to. He would have this thing, he called a big driver, where he just laid into one. I remember there was this one par four on the south course, and there was a tree like 330 out. And he said he was going to lay on one and he flew it into the tree. (laughs) Now, so he's always had that length. But more recently, we played, we went out to Dallas National um, last March or last April, right before quarantine started. Um, We were prepping for a tournament. So half the team played with Bryson. I ended up playing with the head pro out there. But afterwards, whenever we finished, he invited us into one of the bays oh, no. um, to watch him do like the speed training stuff that he does. Right. And that was just the most mind boggling thing I've ever seen. He hit like a hundred something golf balls at over 190 ball speed in a row.
1: Now, are you someone that could sit down and would really like go into and really eat up all of the technical, uh, you know, jargon or just would, would? does that register with you or would you be like, cool, bro, just I just want to see hit it. Like, I don't need to know how you're making the sausage. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, which which end of the spectrum do you kind of fall on?
2: Um, I'd definitely be interested in hearing what he has to say. I just love learning about stuff like that. Okay. And I mean, at the end of the day, there are a thousand different ways to play golf. Right. And I love learning about how other people kind of view it. But also at the end of the day, Bryson and I couldn't look at golf any more differently. Okay. (laughs) Um, He's super technical and everything, which I think is awesome. It works for him. I'm just very, very feel, um, I have like five swing videos on my phone. I don't take swing videos. I'll take a swing video once every three months. I pretty much just go off of feel for everything. I feel like I know my swing well enough. And Bryson's over here being the numbers guy. So I definitely would think it's interesting. It's awesome. I could learn a thing or two from it. But yeah, it would be a very interesting conversation kind of going back and forth.
1: Well, after we're done talking, I'm actually going to go hit some balls today. So I'll get a video of my swing, send it to you. So now you'll have five that you can look at and then just a comedy one where you're like, man, I'm glad I don't hit it like that guy. So I love it. All right, we'll get you set up. So um, you are a, uh, you know, born and raised Corinth, Texas, 20,000 people in, in that town. It's just north of Dallas. You're like 30 minutes away from SMU. Uh, I know that Dallas and Texas, for that matter, is just a hotbed of junior golf. It's just a great area of the country to not just get into the game because there's plenty of courses and plenty of opportunities, but there's, again, good competition, a good way to go from point A to whatever point B is, whether it's playing you know, great high school golf or playing for a D1 program like yourself or, or anywhere in between. Talk to me a little bit about how you got into the game and why golf seemed to be a perfect fit for you.
2: Yeah, so um, it all kind of started um, with me just wanting to go out to the driving range with my dad and just kind of hang out, watch him hit golf balls, um, try to hit a few myself. But beyond that, I I tried to play different sports growing up. Um, I eventually got my black belt in Taekwondo whenever I was seven. Okay, And then they told me that they wouldn't let me test for my second degree until I was 13. So I was kind of like, I don't want to waste next however many years of my life doing nothing. So I kind of decided I wanted to take golf on just entirely. Um, Other side of it was I had growth hormone deficiency growing up. Okay, So basically my pituitary gland didn't produce any growth hormone. So whenever I was seven, I was in the first percentile on both height and weight. So I kind of looked at golf as like that sport that it didn't matter how big or how small you were, how much you weighed, anything like that. It was just about the sole amount of effort that you put into it each and every day. Like you were your own master. You could figure out and you could decide how good you wanted to be at it. And I really fell in love with that about it. So that's kind of how I got started.
1: So you you mentioned just basically, I mean, for lack of a better term, just, you know, you know, shorter, lighter, probably not as strong as kids your mm-hmm. age. And you're right. Golf's a great game that you can just kind of, it's individual sport. It's not a team game. You're not, there's obviously no contact. You know, my immediate thought is, okay, you probably really worked hard on your short game and, and shots that you could actually compete with other kids against, you know, from a hundred yards and in you can do that, but did you also learn how to chase distance and how to uh, you know, try and accentuate both ends of the game?
2: To answer the first question, yes, I spent a bunch of time on short okay. game. Um, that was just my bread and butter. If I practiced for four hours, um, three of those would probably be on short game. Um, I love just going around a green and figuring out all the different ways to hit a shot. Um, just all the little delicacies of it never have really been a big range guy at all because of that. Um, if I want to work on my swing, I prefer to go on the golf course and play. Um, I hate just pounding golf balls on the range. I find it boring and I don't think it's personally how I learn the best. I need that golf hole in order to help me kind of lock in and everything instead of just staring down a driving range. Um, but I definitely, I would say I did learn how to chase distance as well. I would say more than that, I learned how to be efficient, um, with what I had, how to like optimize everything out, how to go after it as hard as I possibly could, but still have the accuracy um, that you need to be successful. So, I mean, I don't hit it long by any means. I think I hit it fairly average. Um, I definitely can get the ball out there. Um, it's not hurting me in any way at all. I haven't really played a golf course that I thought was too much for me. Right. Um, since I've grown up and everything, but I would definitely say that what helped me is just being able to feel like I can swing a hundred percent on any given hole, no matter how tight it is. Um, and I'd kind of have that accuracy still. So I would say that's what being small taught me more than anything.
1: Gotcha. Now I think if I'm, if I'm, my research is correct, your dad Jeff, and your mom Lisa, they kind of put you in when whether you're playing junior tournaments or uh, you know they kind of threw you in at maybe like an age or a division up so that you mm-hmm. would compete against older kids, stronger kids. looking back, I'm sure at the time, kind of you know you know maybe getting your head kicked in more than once or twice probably wasn't a lot of fun when you're that age because, you know, 10, 11 year old, it's, you know, we don't have the maturity to to deal with adversity at the best at that age. Looking back, how important was that for you?
2: It was huge. Um, yeah, it sucks getting your head kicked in, but it makes you hungry.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, it makes you want to go out there and work even harder. It's I mean, it's like you said, you're 11, you're 12. So while adversity does suck, you still hate to lose. So whenever, you know, each and every week that you go out there, yeah, you're going to be playing against kids older than you. Eventually, you're just like, I still want to just go and kick those kids ass. So you just go out there and you work even harder. And for me, it was huge because it really just kind of made me dive into the short game side of it. Right. Um, besides just playing against kids that were longer than me and older than me, I was playing against golf courses that were way too long for me. So I really had to focus on just the grind of short game, um, trying to just get the ball in the hole. Um, I wasn't going to go out there and make a lot of birdies, but I had to go out there and just fight. So it really just taught me that resilient kind of part of golf that you have to have to be successful. Um, And also just taught me how to, whenever I did have opportunities, how to make the most of them. And then, Just kind of as things go on, you finally start getting longer and everything. They finally stop hitting it so much by you. And then you have the short game that you have that once you start having more birdie holes and you can make birdies and then you put yourself in a bad position, you don't have to worry about making as many bogeys. So I really think it kind of shaped my golf game um, still to this day, just teaching me how to always just fight through and just get the ball in the hole as few strokes as possible.
1: All right, that's an excellent and cohesive and comprehensive answer. Now let me ask you a fun question. How cool is it to be that young and that much shorter than some of the guys and still beat them? I mean, that has I mean, how much fun is that though?
2: I mean, as a little kid, yeah, it's great. They walk <laughs> up onto the first tee, like whenever you're 11, you walk up onto the first tee with the kid like 3 years older than you and they're just like staring down at you like, right. "Okay, I'm going to absolutely just kill this kid today." And then you go out there and you shoot 72, they shoot 74, and they're like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a great feeling just going out there and grinding it out for the entire day. They might make a few mistakes here and there, but you're just always kind of focused on what you've been grinding for. And yeah, it just like I said, it makes you hungry. It makes the hard work feel like it's paying off and just makes you want to go after it even more.
1: I mean, does, does the big Mac and quarter pound of a cheese just taste so good after something like that? I mean, probably can't even compare it. I mean,
2: hundred percent. There's nothing better.
1: <laughs> you are a, uh, you are one of five players in history to go back to back as AJGA players of the year. I mean, we got Brian Harmon, Tracy Phillips, and a couple of guys named Phil and tiger. Um, Junior President's Cup, Junior Ryder Cup, played in a couple USAMs U.S. Ams as a junior. This is just an incredible junior golf career that, uh, I mean, if people are laying bets early on in your junior golf career, I don't think many people are seeing that happen. So uh, it's absolutely incredible. Now, I spent a lot of time around, uh, you know, some of the best juniors in the country, whether it's at, a, you know, a place like, you know, Merido Amateur or, or the Jones Cup or, or wherever, you know, I'm talking about guys like, you know, the Ford Brothers and uh, Jackson Van Paris and Gordon Sargent. These are the blue chip prospects. And I'm, I know I'm missing a handful of them, but you were, uh, you were in their shoes. You were the guy uh, of junior golf at that time. Um, what is some advice that if you're talking to them or and you're sharing some advice with them, what are some of the things that, that would help them make a successful jump into collegiate golf much like, uh, much like you have?
2: Um, I would say one thing that I really struggled with and I wish somebody would have helped me with is managing your expectations. Okay. Um, whenever I kind of gone to college, I thought I was, I thought I was just ready to go. Um, I had that like feeling of, okay, I'll be here one semester. Once I want semester is over, I'm going to turn pro in the summer. I'll go out
1: there and kill it. Really? And I wait, 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 wait. really? You thought you're just going to go in for one year, destroy everyone. And I'm just going to go play pro.
2: Yeah, 100%. Oh, wow. I did I, not know that. I, okay. Yeah. And then I got hurt within three tournaments. Um, and so I really had to take a dose of humble pie, um, okay. got healthy again, um, kind of had to fix some stuff with my game after being injured. Right. And then a year to the day later, I got hurt again. So pretty much my two, first two years of college, um, I was just hurt for it. Um, wow. with little stretches of being healthy. Um, and that really just took a hit to me, like entirely, like right. you, you go out there and regardless of if I was going to turn pro after one semester, um, even if I had stayed, like that's just so much different than anything I'd had in junior golf. Right. Um, I had always played through some injuries. I'd always had some like minor back stuff, nothing that would really like force me out of something. Um, but these two injuries, it was like you're you cannot play through it. I both of them were my shoulders. I couldn't raise my shoulder up or I couldn't raise my arm up at all. Wow. So it wasn't even so much like you're taking time off to not play and like rest up and be healthy. It was like you just can't play the sport that you love. Right. And so Hmm. I would say just like manage your expectations because anything can happen. Like, there are so many unknowns out there. Like, just absolutely anything can happen. And more than anything, just, like, enjoy where you're at. Like, college is the best four years of your life. The people that you'll meet along the way, um, the friends that you'll have, your teammates and everything, those are going to be some of your best friends for life. And just kind of soak it all in and enjoy it because that's what we're able to do so well in junior golf. Like, we, we had fun in junior golf, and then whenever you get to college, it's like all of a sudden you're like, I'm one step closer to my dream, right. which would be turning pro. And you start to feel it a little bit more. You start to watch those PJ tour events, and you start to watch web.com, and you're like, holy crap, I know guys out there right, right now. like I played against them. And so expectations start to rise. You start to feel it a little bit more when in junior golf, it just felt so far away at the time. So I think that is huge. You just kind of enjoy where you're at in the moment. Um, and just remember like why you play golf, like we're all just trying to be as good as you possibly can be. And you get there at the end of the day, no matter what. And pro golf is you have so much time to get there. It's not a rush or anything. Um, that's what I've learned more than anything.
1: Yeah, and and that's very well said, and I'm, I'm kind of like on the same page. Like when I hear guys talking about when they're going to jump and play pro, I'm like, you guys do realize that you're entering the workforce. I know it's televised, and I know you get to travel over the world, but you're just seeing the top of the top. You're not seeing many tours on TV. You're not seeing a lot of web.com on TV, and you're entering the workforce of guys that are already in the job that do not care about what you did in junior golf, amateur career, college golf—they don't care, and they don't necessarily want you to take their job. Obviously, they don't. So you're, mm-hmm. it, yeah, you're. It, everything's kind of you know. Enjoy college. I keep I say to people when I have casual conversations, I'm like, hey, um, that college thing looks pretty sweet. Uh, you know, I might want to enjoy it that. As long, yeah, you might want to enjoy that as long it, as you can.
2: It's incredible, yeah. And you you couldn't have said any better. Like the PGA Tour is just so glamorized. But they glamorize the top 20 guys out there. And that's all that you see. You don't ever hear about the guys fighting to make their card. And even past that, the guys on the corn fighting to make it to the tour. And then even one step below that, the guys on Canada for May, Latin, trying to make it onto the corn. Like, there's so many layers to it. And whenever you kind of get further and further along in college... You, you see just all of that more and more and more because you have buddies out there trying to make this. So you're following your buddies and you're talking to your buddies and you're hearing how much of a grind it is. So it's definitely, I mean, it is a grind. Um, yeah. If you make it out there and you're in those top 20 guys then you've made it and you can enjoy the glamorous life of it. But before that, it's, it's hard to do. And I, I'm from somebody who wanted to leave college after six months and just yeah. thought that, I would be sandstone to just go out there and kill it to where I am now taking another semester next spring. Like I couldn't be more grateful for college and everything that's taught me. And I'm the biggest advocate for just taking all the time you need.
1: That's awesome. Well, you are, um, you know, as we, uh, we haven't hit upon it yet, but you are a former, um, us junior amateur champion picking up a win in 2017. And, and one of the fun things that I get to do with having this podcast is actually do a deep dive into the history of some of these championships, whether it's a U.S. Mid-Am or Amateur Public Links. And you kind of get to see the history and who won and who beat who in the finals. I mean, 1999, Hunter Mahan beat Camila Vijegas uh, in the U.S. Oh. Junior, which I would have loved to see. And then the following year, Ryan Moore, who won the U.S. Am, and the U.S. Pub Links, one of the best amateur seasons of all time, he lost the U.S. Junior in 2000 to Matthew Rosenfeld. I don't know who that is or where to find <laughs> him. but And then you got Davis Riley losing back-to-back to a couple guys named Zalatoris and Scheffler, which uh, I think those guys Pretty are doing, good. They're doing okay. Um, you actually almost followed in um, Riley's footsteps. You lost the final in 16 to Minwoo Lee. Then obviously you win it in 17. You beat Matthew Wolf and Now the the light bulb is going off in my head after you just talked about thinking about turning pro after one semester. Of course that makes sense because you win the U.S. Junior and you beat Matthew Wolf. Um, Let's dive into these two years uh, briefly. You lose in 16. How much of a hit is that to you in 16 at that young, young of an age? How do you deal with that and then also get yourself back and ready to compete the following year?
2: Honestly, sixteen really wasn't. Um, I played some insane golf at that US Junior. Okay. Um, It's it's kind of a hard thing to answer because at that event I played extraordinarily well, and I got beat by somebody who played better. Okay. Um, So that's a tough pill to swallow in itself. Um, But at the same time, it's really not knowing that I was heading in the right direction. I'm doing everything I need to do to get better. Um, and I just got beat. So it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, it made me hungrier. made me want to go after it more. 2016, that us junior was still something like the best golf I've played in all my life. I made an insane amount of birdies <laughs> okay. at that tournament. Okay. Like, um, I mean, I won my first match like eight and seven. Um, with birding, like eight of the holes. Like it was things like that. Okay. Um, just absolutely just ca- not careering it, but being in the zone and locked in and just balling out for an entire week straight. Right. The next US junior, um, I felt like I was grittier during it. I definitely had to fight more. Uh, my game wasn't as good as the 2016, but obviously, like I said, I was playing just unreal amount of golf. Um, I actually, before the 2017, it's kind of a funny thing I like to tell, um, I actually went to Cameron a week prior to the tournament um, like three days before I left because I couldn't stop shanking the ball.
1: That's a problem.
2: Yes, it was a huge problem. And even on the range of Flint Hills, I was still shanking it. And I actually shanked one in the first round of stroke play. Uh huh. So (laughs) it's just like it's just, like, one of those things where, like, golf is a weird game, man. And sometimes it's just, like, the stars align it's meant to be um, for somebody. And it just kind of works out. But I definitely felt like I was grittier during the second one. Um, maybe it was because I just – I had my A-minus game instead of my A-plus game like the year before. Gotcha. And I knew that it would just take that little bit extra a bit of fight in order to get it done this time around instead of just solely relying
1: on how well I was playing so I'm going to ask you a little bit about that that final that you that comfort behind win against Matthew Wolf. but uh, you mentioned Cameron uh you're you're speaking of Cameron McCormick your swing coach since 2014 most golf fans will probably know that name because he is uh he he works with Jordan Spieth um, uh, along with several other players and I wanted to ask you, this is kind of just something I was curious about, you know, obviously he's working with Spieth, you know, Spieth has his slump. I'd so stupid to even say that word because no matter what Jordan Spieth does after 2015 is going to be considered a a slump because he just, you know, basically dominated everything in 2015, picking up two majors. And I think runnering up in the other two, Um, talk to me about the level of commitment a Cameron McCormick has with you, with other players how did he see the potential in you? Knowing you know where you start in fourteen, and then two years later you're basically competing for a U.S. junior. How has that relationship kind of blossomed? Not just when things are going great, but how does he work you through, and ultimately his other students through maybe the the valleys, so to speak?
2: Yeah, I would say I've always had an incredible relationship with Cameron, um, starting at just the very first lesson I ever had with him. Um, went in for a short game lesson with him since I was kind of struggling with some technique stuff that I wanted to fix. And whenever we got to Brook Hollow, since he was still at Brook Hollow at the time, um, we ended up getting stuck in his bay for three hours because of the thunderstorm that rolled through. Okay. So I actually didn't get to work on any short game and we just kind of hung out. I putted some on his putt lab, um, hung out a little bit more waiting to blow through. And then he was finally like, do you want to work on a full swing? Um, and I was like, sure, why not? We might as well. Yeah. And just from that point forward, uh, the rest is history. Um, he's taught me just so much about golf, um, golf course wise, skill wise, and just like the mental side of it. He's really helped me grow just in all areas. Um, he's extraordinarily committed to his student. Um, he's one of the hardest working guys I know. And, he expects the exact same out of his students. He wants that fire, that pushback from them. Um, he feels everything that we feel out there, if not more, because he can't help us whenever we're in the middle of a tournament. Um, so yeah, he's extremely committed um, and it's really awesome to see. Um, he, it's like one of those things where um, the entire time he Jordan was going through his little off period and it wasn't even a slump. We all go through it. Everybody has experienced what Jordan felt. Um, and everybody kind of second guessing Cameron and I'm over here in Cameron's corner. And I just know that it's just this little blip and obviously he's proven that, um, they always figure it out. Cameron's too smart. He's too good of a coach not to figure it out. Um, I think he's one of the best coaches out there if I'm being honest. Um, with full swing and even more than that, with short game, he has a filthy short game. It's absolutely unreal. Um, yeah, I've never won a short game contest against him, never once, or a putting contest for that matter.
1: Damn, that's uh, that's that's high praise. Um, you, I didn't want to skip past this, but it, it, it's so interesting that you talked about you know wanting to turn pro early because one of the things I want to ask you about is. You know, you beat Matthew Wolf in the final in 17. You lose to Minwu Lee in 16. You know, Minwoo Lee has a, a victory in the European Tour. I think everyone mm-hmm. knows what Matthew Wolf has gone on to do. And you're there watching this from, you know, SMU. <laughs> and I'm just curious, um, do you look at what they've done professionally and say, okay, that, that's where I, I'm going to be there. That's what I'm going to be doing. Or, or do you kind of just say, nah, those are just two guys that I played in junior golf. Um, I know we've kind of already talked a little bit about this, but do you measure yourself with with the guys that you played junior golf with or college golf that have gone to the pros or are you still staying in your own lane?
2: I'd say I used to measure it with them a lot um, until I finally just kind of like I talked about earlier, um, yeah. really just realize how much time that I have and how I just have to focus on myself and my only goal now is just to be the best i can possibly be try to get better each day and just see where that takes me um the sky's the limit for that you can always get better you can always improve so that's kind of where i hold myself to now and i'd say it's helped a lot because i can really just enjoy the success that they're having more um it's awesome to see um watch matt last year compete for a pga like i was locked in for that that was so cool to watch (laughs) um Just seeing like Minwoo do all this cool stuff over there, overseas, like it's awesome to watch. Minwoo and Matt are two of the best players I've ever played against. I think Matt has more talent than anybody possibly. Um, Just the things that he can do to a golf ball are absolutely unreal and super underrated. I've always loved his putting. And Minwoo, as you know, has the most perfect golf swing in the entire world. Um, It's insane. And just being able to watch both of them um, it's inspiration. It makes me just want to grind harder, but at the same time, I don't really hold myself to that. I know I have my own path. It might be different from theirs, but it definitely inspires me to just
1: work harder. You committed to SMU very early. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes away from home. Um, you, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about, I guess the decision because I'm guessing you didn't have to deal with all the stress and strain of having college coaches show up at your amateur tournaments and your junior tournaments. I mean, I'm sure you were recruited, but I guess once you made that decision, you probably had a different outlook on junior golf and amateur golf as opposed to some other you know kids in your, your stage because they were constantly wrestling with decisions. So I'm guessing it made it easier for you
2: yeah dude the recruiting process feels so long ago it's unreal <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right you're talking to a guy that's 44 years old so don't <laughs> don't pretend you're some old guy back back using Nick i know but junior it, golf.
2: i know it just it's crazy though like um whenever i was getting recruited um i committed sophomore year and kind of with the trend that was going that was almost a little late later oh, okay. than some other kids um Like Cole, you had him commit super young. Mason, you had him commit super young. Like there was that few year trend where it was like the cool thing to do to commit when as early as possible. Right, right. Yeah. So I I felt like I took my time with it. Um, It was between SMU, Alabama, and OSU for me, Um, mainly SMU and Alabama. That was kind of during the time when Alabama won its two national championships. Um, they are kind of coming out as this new powerhouse school. Um, I love coach Cuel, love coach Howell. They're both great guys. Um, but kind of what came down to at the end of the day was one Cameron in Dallas. Um, I didn't really want to leave him at all. Um, Trinity forest, obviously just, I fell in love with that place. It wasn't a place, Whenever I was being recruited. It was still a vision. Um, But I fell in love with that vision. What in low and power were telling me that it could be what it would turn into and it's turned into exactly that. And then beyond that, I always knew that my home base would be Dallas um, whenever I eventually decided to turn pro. Okay. So I had a, I had a really hard time rationalizing why I would move away for however long it would be. um, And then coming back to Dallas, Um, I thought it would just be better to stay here. I'm close to my family. I can go home whenever I want. Sure. I have friends that live in the area, so I'm close to the people that I know. And I can just kind of build relationships in Dallas um, that would eventually help me later on.
1: Interesting. So while you're choosing the right college program for you, you're also setting yourself up for when you do eventually turn professional. You have a lot of, you know, you, you have a network that's built up. You're a fixture in the golf community in Dallas.
2: Mm-hmm. It was it was definitely the long haul of it all. And don't get me wrong, I even if we're not looking at that, I probably would have still come to SMU. You, know, I I love Dallas. Right. Um, I've lived pretty much near Dallas since I was a baby, so it's like it's my home always. Um, I love everything about it. Um, everything that you could possibly need is in Dallas, and I just really love that aspect of it. And I just didn't want to give that up.
1: Nice. Well, we have spoken a lot so far about, you know, individual achievements, um, you know, individual work you've done in your game with Cameron, just a lot of just, you know, you know, stuff about Noah Goodwin, but um, you remember, like we said, of of SMU's college golf team and college golf, which I've just really kind of fallen in love with over the last few years, since I started the podcast, it's very unique You're all competing for a spot in the starting lineup, so you have to be individualistic and take care of your own business, or you're going to be sitting in a dorm room somewhere watching the rest of the team go out and play. But again, if you don't encourage and help your teammates get better, you may be in the lineup, but you kind of might be alone if you don't have a successful team uh, on, you know, with you. You don't have a good starting five. So, how does the culture at SMU allow for an individual to blossom but also help the team succeed simultaneously?
2: Um, I would say that individually we blossom because everybody on the team wants to be the best that they can be. Everybody on the team wants to one day try to make a run at turning pro. Right. Um, so we all have that drive in us. And I would say what allows us to blossom as a team is, personally, I believe we have some of the best team chemistry out of anybody in college golf. Um, we're all extremely close. It's, even, with a, out e- with even,
1: even with Ollie on the team?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie is incredible. <laughs> Ollie's actually, Ollie actually went down to San Antonio with Mac this weekend um, just to hang out when Mac went down to go get golf lessons. Nice. Um, well, he's just going for so free, it, free
1: food. Probably That's probably why he's yeah, down there. Yeah,
2: so it's like it's little things like that. Like, we, we hang out with each other always. Um, we're extremely close in that way, and we're always pushing each other to be the best we can be. Um, whenever somebody else wins, it's celebrated. Whenever you win, it's celebrated. It's that always, in a way, it's always focusing on the team. And knowing that you, as a whole, that's your job to focus on, obviously. But if you kind of put everybody as a whole forward, then everything's kind of going to move forward. So I would say that, yeah, I just think it's because we have some of the best team chemistry out there. We all want to see each other win. We all want to see each other be successful. But on the flip side of that, just as we, much as we want everybody else to win, we want to win. And so it's that constant just grinding and pushing each other to be better.
1: Well, you guys had a – well, I'll let you describe how you feel this season went. I mean, I know you picked up a win at Trinity Forest, your home tournament. I know you've had some good mm-hmm. finishes, some average ones. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier before we started uh, recording where I see that it looks like you and and Mac and Ollie are kind of the nucleus. You have um, – so you have this great – Uh, a freshman that's blossomed, uh, Nathan Petronzio, and he's, you know, uh, AAC freshman of the year, but talk to me about the year of, you know, obviously battling COVID and I mean, everything that was thrown at you this year, how do you kind of sum up where your team stands now heading into the national championship? What were maybe some of the points of concern of trying to get that real solid lineup set for the postseason?
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, man. Um, I feel like we've had glimpses of us all coming together as a team. Um, we saw that at TF. Um, besides it just being our home course, everybody really just played how they're capable of playing, and we won by an insane amount. Right. And I don't really feel like we've seen that at too many other courses. Um, we've always kind of had just like – we've been a little off here and there, um, we're still able to compete. We're still able to play well. Um, And I think everybody on the team knows that we know what we're capable of. Um, I would say we're a little bit underrated personally. I think we're one of the best teams in college golf whenever we're on. I mean, Mac is one of the best players I've ever seen. Ollie has unreal potential. He's just insane at golf. Um, The, whenever you I've seen him go out at TF and just shoot rounds that are so stupid that you're just like, how, what is this kid doing? Like, it's unreal how good he is. Um, Nathan, we call him Fruit. Um, he has all the potential in the world. Um, he's going to be really, really good all one right.
1: day. You're not, you're not going to zip past that one. You call him Fruit?
2: We call him Fruit.
1: Okay, go ahead and explain that one, Noah.
2: <laughs> um, he kind of came into SMU. You know how all freshmen are. He kind of thought. He was king of the world and everything. And he started calling everybody on the team fruit and it just no idea why he did, but it kind of just backfired on him. And that is his name for, from everybody now, even the coaches,
1: <laughs> what a, um, what a dumbass. <laughs> he's
2: a, he's a great kid. Oh Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, But that's just, that's, <laughs> yeah,
2: he's, he's fruit. It's, it's not Nathan. It's fruit.
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I will look forward to having fruit on the podcast at some point in the future. What a Love that. what a dummy. Um all right, so go ahead. Sorry, didn't cut you off.
2: And then but then like we talk about having like a five guy. And like the five guy thing is like really interesting. Um especially with like a team like ours. So like you said we got like me, Mac, Ollie, Nate, fruit um that can go out there and play some really really solid golf. So then you kind of get into the question of like, what do you want out of a five guy? Um, do you want like a Mr. Consistent? Um, who's going to shoot between X and X every round, no matter what. Right. Um, or do you want a guy that's very consistent, but has like that little bit of a wild card in him that could like go off one round and just shoot a super low score. So I feel like that's what we kind of been trying to figure out all semester. Um, And honestly, there's like no good answer for that. Both have their benefits, um, both have their disadvantages as well. Um, I think that's kind of like what every school tries to figure out. It's like the it's the unknown answer of like what is the perfect five guy. Yeah, Um, it's it's a crazy thing. Um,
1: Well, and it's almost like you need. It's almost like you need a solid four through seven guy because you, Mm -hmm. you you know there because I've seen with other programs there's been a lot of shifting in that four five and six spot and really you're just trying it's like you're you're making a stew so to speak and you're like all right let me add this oh no let me take that out let me put this in see if that tastes better let me try this and you're just trying to get the perfect mix for the postseason and you know we're, we're you know, I'm I'm hope I'm not explaining too much for, for people that are listening right now, but I really want to hit upon something. You know, when you think of college sports, obviously you think about the bowls in in football and you know, you need to, you know, win five or six games and you'll get into a bowl. You'll be in the postseason. And with college basketball, you'll have you know, if you're a top ranked team, like SMU right now, you're ranked in college golf, I think you're around 18, 20, something like that. Well, if SMU's basketball team is ranked 18 or 20, Even if you lose your conference tournament, you're going to go to the big dance. You'll be at the national championship. In college golf, it's very different. You could win every damn tournament the entire season, and you still have to go to NCAA regionals where only the top five teams in the tournament will advance to the national championship. Now, you guys got through as the three uh, in third place at Stillwater at the Carson Creek course for, for that regional, but this is just a very unique part of college golf where you have to make sure you get through regionals or your season's Mm -hmm. over. How do you guys now, again, 18th, 20th, whatever the ranking is. I mean, you're, you're in that top 20 range, 25, whatever it is. You're right there. How do you approach that tournament, which is basically your entire year?
2: Yeah. It's nerve wracking. Like (laughs) I mean it is nonetheless it's exactly like you said you can be the best team in the world, and you're still not guaranteed a way through um, and I feel like I feel like everybody um, or I can only speak for myself personally i'm really good at focusing on myself and trusting my team um, throughout the entire regular year, and then whenever regional starts to come up like you you get nervous you're, you start checking in on people and you you want everybody to have that like little extra um, that you need to make it through. Um, and it's kind of a crazy thing. Normally, whenever I play a tournament, I'll pull up the solo leaderboard on my phone, um, see how I'm doing, and I'll kind of check how the team's doing every now and then. But like during regional, it's like all you care about is how your team's doing. Right. Um, it's what I was asking my assistant coach who walked with me the last few days. It's all I was asking him. It's you're checking out on everybody. How's Justin doing? How's Ollie playing? How's fruit doing? How's Mac doing? And because you feel those guys y'all are, this is what all your hard work the entire year has been for. And if this week's the end of it, then it's the end of it. But it also could just be the beginning of the postseason. So it's like this, it's this really crazy feeling of, and there's no good way to navigate it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you just kind of, you tinker all year. It's what we did. We had, we've tried a bunch of different lineups. we tried a bunch of different four and five guys and six guys. Right. Um, kind of just trying to figure out what the perfect recipe was. And obviously, there is no perfect recipe. Um, but we got something at the very end that we felt like we could run with and we could trust. And it just ended up working out.
1: Yeah. You guys got through regionals. I I wouldn't, I mean, obviously I wasn't there and and I totally understand what you're getting at as far as the stress and and being nervous because you know, this, this is it, this is the final exam, so to speak. And you just, you have to pass. Um, You guys got through, as I said, third place. I think you were probably at like seventh or eighth place after the first round, you had a great second round and then third round, just kind of, you know, you know, paced obviously by your incredible performance you got through. But I remember watching I mean, following on golf stat and, uh, you know, Pepperdine was in trouble. Oklahoma, the number Mm -hmm. one team in the country was in trouble. Florida was in trouble. Now all three got in, but there's a lot of teams that were ranked 10, 15, 20 in the country, and they're not going to nationals. So, um, yeah, I just, it just, it's very unique and really interesting where, uh, it's really a, a, as I said, kind of a final examination to see if your season continues now, You individually completely boat raced the hell out of the field at Carson (laughs) Creek. Um, You didn't think I was going to let that slip. You are playing at, I mean, this is arguably one of the toughest courses uh, in, in the country. And I'm guessing this Oklahoma state probably has, I mean, I'm guessing this is probably the best home course advantage in college golf. I can't think of another golf course that a team plays that is truly their own, that they dominate. You shoot 15 under. Now, uh, Oklahoma State's uh, Bojan was at 9, so you beat him by 6. There was a handful of guys tied at 5. You basically beat the field by 10. Defend yourself. How would you do that?
2: Um, It's kind of like we were talking about before we came on the podcast. Um, I absolutely love that golf course. I played it four times at the Ping Invitational. I actually shot 63. Um, one All right. of the rounds, um, so like, I, I just, oh, come on, give me a break. You told me to defend myself.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Do it, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, I just love that golf course. It, it's like you said, it is, it's one of the hardest courses in the country. It is the ultimate test. It's a golf course that if you're driving it well and your irons are good, you can give yourself a lot of great birdie looks because the greens are kind of sectioned off. So if you're hitting the right sections and everything, you have birdie putts at it. Um, But then at the same time, it's like if you're a little bit iffy in some areas, then it can start going south really, really fast. It's a golf course that just physically tests you as well as mentally and emotionally. Like, I mean, you can't let up for a single shot out there or it will screw you over. Um, You have to be locked in the entire time. There's not a single hole that it's not where double isn't in play. Um, And there are too many golf courses like that. You'll have holes where it's like bogey's a really good score. You have that at Carson 17, for example. Um, And then you have like a lot of courses where it's like, okay, this is a birdie hole. And even the birdie holes at Carson can also turn into doubles and triples very, very quickly. So it's one of the hardest tests in golf, but I think that's why I love it so much. It just forces you to be on your game the entire time.
1: Well, it just uh, incredible performance. I remember watching that. I mean, I I was watching both individuals and and team stats, and I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, because <laughs> you and I actually spoke a little bit before. I was like, hey man, I got to get you on the pod before, before you know before the season comes to a close. And you're like, yeah, I got to go take uh, you know we got regionals after that. I'm like, okay, I guess we have a lot more to talk about now. So, um, you um, you know, you're you're getting ready to head to to nationals, and I know that you're coming back for. Uh, uh one more as you mentioned you're coming back for another semester uh, at school another run at um, you know at, at the, another postseason and you, you know you've had this incredible career you know two-time All American and you're going to take advantage of this COVID year. Um, I know a lot of that has to do with your relationship with uh, you know Coach Para and your, your team and just basically the entire SMU family but I think something else that's out there for for college golfers to kind of keep in mind is PGA Tour U, where Mm -hmm. top five get guaranteed a corn ferry card, and then six through fifteen have their chance to get a or have their choice of, I believe PGA Tour China or the Latin America Tour. How much does that, with the inception of this program, how much does that affect your thought process on how to basically plan your exit of college golf?
2: It's it changes it changes everything, man. Um, I mean, if we're just being honest. There's never been an opportunity like this before. Um, this is an even better opportunity than, or I wouldn't say it's a better opportunity than PJQ School. That would just be a lie. But it's the best opportunity that a college golfer has ever had um, to be top five and have auto starts out on the Corn Ferry Tour. And even be locked up into, um, the final stage at Q school for corn Ferry for the next year. Right. Um, that's unreal. It's what everybody's striving for. Um, and even just being six or 15 is a great opportunity. So it's something that I really had to kind of weigh out and everything. Um, whenever I made the decision to opt out, I was ranked roughly seven, um, and after conference, I probably would have moved up a little bit. And even after regionals, I probably mo- would have moved up a little bit more. But how I kind of looked at it is the top five was so solidified. I mean, you got guys like John Pack. you got guys like Austin Akro, um, who have just played some unreal golf. And they're fairly well separated. And it would have been really hard to reach them. So That's you kind of cool. have, have to play it like a time game also. Because then it's, you have to decide, okay, if I'm coming back for another year, then the timeline of tournaments that they choose to take for the rankings is going to change also. So then you kind of have to figure out, well, okay, a lot of schools didn't play in the fall. Um, So what happens if they decide to count the fall in the timeline versus if they don't count the fall in the timeline? So it's kind of all of this just like trying to figure out like numbers here and there. Um, It's a lot of guessing. It's a lot of speculation. Um, We still don't know exactly what they're going to decide to do. So you're kind of just trying to feel it out. Um, But it's, it's a huge thing. I mean, it's like I said, there's no better opportunity than PGAU. So kind of my thought process was if I can come back for another year and at the absolute worst, be ranked what I was this year and at the absolute best be in the top five, then at least I've given myself an extra year to grow, enjoy college for a little bit more, be with my team, make another national run, really feel like I did everything I wanted to do at SMU. And then be able to turn pro, I felt like that would be the best decision possible. And you're kind of seeing that with a lot of people. A lot of people are taking advantage of that COVID year. A lot of guys are even going grad school route Um, just so they have that extra last shot at PGAU, just because of how great of an opportunity it is.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it's great that they provided it. I, I still, even if they didn't provide it, why would you want to leave college, uh, you know, college early? I mean, the, the, the private planes and the, the tournaments in Hawaii that, that doesn't happen when you're first year on, uh, as a professional for the most part, um, but no, Unless I, you're, like, Colin uh, or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, and and that's and I think also, like, people are seeing this, you know, Neiman, Morikawa, Wolf, Hovland, um, you know, Sam Burns. Well, I guess he's a little bit later. But, I mean, they're seeing this nucleus that just came out recently, and they're just jumping up there. But you know as well as I do that there are a ton of D1 All-Americans right now that are playing mini tours, and that's more close to the reality And if you do the PGA tour, you route, even if you don't make the top five, what early or, you know, what first year professionals are really looking for is a place to play. That's consistent because trying to jump around to Mondays and all that different stuff, there's no consistency to it. You can't build as easily.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I've said it again, it's, it's an incredible opportunity um, that they've given it's, it really kind of incentivizes you to look away from turning pro early. And it really makes you invest in staying your entire time, which is, I think what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and there's, I'm a hundred percent behind that. Um, if you had asked freshman me um, probably wouldn't be so much of a <laughs> fan. So interesting but, how
1: you've changed. It's so fast.
2: But yeah, just, I mean, I, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity now. I love, college off more than I ever have. Um, I, it's the best thing in the world. Um, and yeah, I, I couldn't be more happy that I'm coming back for another year, not just for PGAU, but it's what, it's what I wanted to do more than anything else.
1: Right. So you're, you're going to knock off that doctorate in that one year or a master's program. What do you got? What do you got lined up?
2: No, I have the best schedule on um, in the planet. I so I have, I have, <laughs> I have 13 hours remaining with only one major left, or my last class required for my major. I've already completed both of my minors, um, and I have all the other hours of just electives. So I'll take 12 hours in the fall with my major being done, so I'll be absolutely finished. And because of that, I only have one hour of electives required, and that is all I have to take because that is all that is required of me. So I will have one class in the spring and I can just entirely focus on golf.
1: God, that sounds like such a nice setup. Um, Wow. So do you know what elective you're going to take? I mean, I know we're kind of veering off into a different direction here, but I mean, what's the, I mean, I mean, you got to get creative here.
2: I know. So for like the spring, I obviously have to take my last major class the senior project Um, and taking another history class, even though I already finished my history minor. And then I'm taking like a intro to psychology class as well as, as as well as like an intro to sociology class. Yeah. And then the spring is undetermined. I hear rumors of this um, one hour Excel class that meets one time a week. Um, so I might try to find that one. Um, it seems like it would be a good time. Um, or I might just end up taking like a history class again because I find them interesting. There, so, that's good. I mean, the world is, the world is my oyster next spring. I'm looking forward to it.
1: What about communications that'll help with like the press conferences?
2: Um, so with my sports management major oh, and you I'm also, got that. You got that. yeah, I'm also have a sports leadership minor, um, taken a few like sports communication classes, stuff like that.
1: There you go. Um, so yeah, there you go. Well, I will get you out of here. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I, you know, we're you're heading to uh, to Grayhawk to the national championship. This is one of the last episodes before uh, before the, the national championship at Greyhawk out in Arizona. I have had uh, I've had Mac Meister on the podcast. I've had, of course, I've had Ollie on the podcast. I think my listeners know quite a bit about those two already. I will definitely Mm -hmm. have fruit on the podcast next year. I mean, this is, I mean, you're, you're setting that up too perfectly. So I will will make sure he gets on next year. Um, Tell me something and tell listeners something about Mac Meisner or Ollie Osborne that they maybe did not know about or learn about on this podcast.
2: I don't know too much that I can tell about Ollie. I mean, Ollie's a superstar for a team right now. Um, yeah, people seem to know everything about him. People seem to love to give him crap about the brownie stuff. Yeah. I think you were the one who started. <laughs> who did that? Um, who
0: did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah that who me. did that?
2: <laughs> um, Mac, um, love to play con with Mac. He's an essential for our Warzone squad. Um, wait, wait, wait we what? We call him them- what,
1: what? What is this? What, is, what did I dismiss here? Con? What is... I don't...
2: Call of Duty. Oh, Cod,
1: I'm sorry. Con, sorry.
2: Yeah, um, we play a lot of COD whenever we don't, whenever we aren't on the golf course practicing. Um, Yeah, um, I don't know too much else. Um, He's about to kind of end his career at SMU, and he's 100% just going to go out and kill it on tour. He's one of the best players I've ever met, and he has all the potential in the world to just go out there and kill it.
1: Well... Clearly a team guy. You're taking your team to Arizona for, uh, for the national championship. I wish you the best out there, and obviously uh, you'll be back next year to, uh, to kind of run it back again. So uh, look forward to following you next year as well, and uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thanks for having me on
2: again, Ben. I enjoyed it.
1: And there you have it. Special thanks to Noah Goodwin for joining me on this episode of the Back of the Range Best of luck to him and the entire SMU team as they chase down a national championship. Don't forget, follow along on Instagram. The handle is The The Back of the Range Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions, go to thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.